Now, in Matthew chapter 1, we have a very early fulfillment citation, and that is that, as we mentioned last week, there are only two books in the Christian Bible that, that make stake the claim that Jesus was born of a virgin. As we mentioned, the two infancy narratives in Matthew and Luke are not just different they are they are they are irreconcilable they're mm-hmm. they're but i don't want to focus on that the key point is this that matthew tells us in matthew you'll find this in matthew chapter one it's the very first chapter of the book of matthew first chapter in what if you pick up a christian bible it, it says there that that in fact mary is is uh, already pregnant uh, Joseph is the one listening to this prophecy because Matthew has it that Joseph is getting the information. Luke has it very oriented towards Mary, so Mary is getting the information. But the point is, the point is that Joseph is informed when he's considering divorcing his betrothed that say, "Do not put away your wife for that which is within the womb is conceived of the Holy Spirit." This is not an arbitrary event that the Messiah is supposed to be born of virgin oh no it was foretold in the book of isaiah isaiah was written some 700 years before the christian the christian Mm -hmm. century it was foretold by isaiah that the messiah was to be was to be the messiah was to be born of a virgin and Mm. matthew famously misquotes isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 so what i've got just so we we, uh, i've got it in front of me and this is the, the angel of the Lord uh, appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take your wife, Mary, for uh, that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, uh, for he will save his people from their sins. So uh, all of this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, yeah. which translated is God with us. Okay. Yeah. And, and here we find ourselves in, in Isaiah chapter 7. Right. So then, so what we do is, whoa, behold, a virgin will conceive. So that's very interesting. So what, what happens, of course, is when we say, okay, let's test this. Let's examine this. This is a really an extraordinary claim. The Jewish prophets, mm-hmm. 700 years later, is foretelling. So we go back to Isaiah chapter 7 and we read it and and lo and behold, neither the word virgin nor the word Messiah appears anywhere in this chapter. And this chapter has nothing to do with the Messiah at all. In fact, Isaiah 7.14 reads in a correct translation. I, I want to make this point that the there are, are Christian Bibles that are honest. It means there are Christian, let me change that, there are Christian translators that render the Hebrew of Isaiah correctly it's not like all christian translators engage in this mistranslation no many do for the famous king james the new international version all the all the usual suspects you know the mm-hmm. new american standard however if you open a revised standard version a new english bible and these were not put together by liberals bruce metzger was a professor at princeton theological seminary was a devout christian an evangelical christian but you know in his revised standard version version, he writes, it says in Isaiah 7.14 that behold, the young woman is with the child, not will be, and it's not a virgin, it just means, because the word 
the word for there is only one Hebrew word in both biblical and modern Hebrew that encapsulates and conveys uh, 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 virginity and sexual purity, and that's the word betula. There's only betula. right betula means a virgin. The word alma is is not does not discuss any a person as a virgin or not. It simply tells us that it's it, two things. Number one. It's a female. Number two is she's young. As it happens to turn out, it's young women that have babies as opposed to old women. So it's, uh, you know, so the, the word Alma simply means a, a young woman. And if Isaiah wanted to, in fact, the word virgin, Betula does appear, I think, five times in the book of Isaiah. If Isaiah wanted to point out that there's some miracle of a virgin having a baby, he would have used the word Betula. He doesn't use the word Betula. He uses the word Alma, which means... Uh, a young woman. A young woman mm -hmm. can be a virgin. She might not be a virgin. So in the case of Rebecca in Genesis, she happens to be a virgin, not because of that word, because it says so in another part of the passage in Genesis. Or she might be very much not a virgin, as we see in Proverbs chapter 30, 19 and 20, where she's an adulteress who's, mm -hmm. because she isn't a virgin, no trace is left of her committing adultery because she has, because she's not a virgin. So her being permitted she could just simply take a bath, wash herself off, and said, I didn't do anything wrong. Mm -hmm. We have also two examples of the Alma is the female virgin. There is, a, I mean, a female young woman. There's an Elam, which is a male young man. And we have that in the case of David, who I don't think could be called a virgin, but he's described as an Elam. You find that in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Um, verse 56 and in chapter 20 verse 22 and also it goes without saying that all the christian bibles all the most fundamentalist christian bibles when it comes to to uh describing uh king david when go when if you look up i uh first samuel uh 1756 or 20 verse 22 none of them say that refer to david as a virgin i mean it's so completely preposterous hmm. so that's so that's the first point. But there's a second problem with Matthew's application here. And this is, goes to the question that was asked by, his name is Jeremy. Is that right? Jeremy. Jeremy. The, the, the second problem of trying to apply Isaiah 7th chapter to Jesus' birth, that Isaiah in chapter 7 is speaking about the birth of Messiah, this problem is even more bewildering than than the the changing of the word and that is that the, the context of isaiah 7 what is happening in isaiah 7 and you know I, I, i'm not trying to make fun of christians but most christians know isaiah 7 14 but they have no clue what it says in isaiah chapter 7 verse 1 to 13 or they don't have a clue what it says afterwards they only know this verse as it turns out, if we look at Isaiah chapter 7, and in context, this passage is discussing a civil war. It's discussing a civil war that took place some 2,700 years ago, and there was an alliance. What was the, there was two different alliances going on, so people have a sense of what's happening. In that, you had the northern kingdom of Israel, 
Uh, at that time, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, were divided into two kingdoms, and they often went to war with each other, and they were aligned, the northern kingdom was aligned with Syria. That's important. Mm-hmm. Why? And they went to war against the southern kingdom, which is a Davidic house. At that time, the king was a very wicked man. His name is Ahaz. You probably never heard of him. His son, very famous. His son's name is Hezekiah, who was righteous. He was a tzaddik. But the point is that the 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 this this war, the Afro-Syria war that took place. The, the northern kingdom in Syria were very concerned. They were disconcerted about the fact that Ahaz, the king, the king of the, the leader of the southern kingdom, who's from the house of David, had aligned himself with a Syria. That's very important, with a Syria. They didn't like that. So they went to war. They laid siege against Yerushalayim, and there was Ahaz surrounded. And Ahaz was in a lot of trouble because they didn't stand the chance. They had two mass armies surrounding them. Again, the northern kingdom of Israel, and they mm-hmm. also had the kingdom of, of Syria. Uh, this is Pekka and Ritzin, these two kings. Yeah. And, and so the context is, is that Isaiah is sent to give Ahaz a sign to know when will this war be over, and when, at what point could he feel confident that these two kings who are threatening him will be, will be, will be taken away? Okay, that's what happens. Mm-hmm. Ahaz is not interested. You should know this. Ahaz is wicked. He, he is like Ferdinand Marcos, you know, when, you know, in, in <laughs> Uh, you know, from uh, the Panama, whatever his name is. Mm. He wants to just get out. Yeah, he's not interested in signs. He doesn't want to get signs. Don't give me, just get me out of here. But Isaiah says to him, but because, now here's what's occurring. God has to save Ahaz, even though he didn't deserve it. Why? Because God made a promise centuries earlier, some three centuries earlier, to his great-grandfather, King David, that no matter what your grandchildren do, your descendants do, the Davidic dynasty does, I will punish them with the rod of men, but I will never allow the Davidic dynasty to be in, to be torn away and destroyed mm-hmm. as it was with King Saul. So therefore, God therefore sends Isaiah to meet Ahaz, and he meets him by the washer's field and gives him, tells him a very simple thing, that Behold the young woman. And he says the ho alma, which is very important. He's basically, Isaiah is coming with his family. We see, in fact, his son Shayoshev mentioned seven three is there. And he's, mm-hmm. and, he's, and he's letting Ahaz know that, look, here's the deal. There's, there is going to be a, God is going to give you a sign when you will know that these two kingdoms that surround you will be vanquished. Behold, and he says, the young woman, it's like a point, he's pointing at Isaiah's, Isaiah's pointing at his wife and said, young woman is already with a child. He neho alma hara, which means in the perfect tense, or she's already pregnant. Okay, mm-hmm. okay. He neho alma hara, he led this bane, and she's going to have a son. Vekara shemai Emmanuel, and she will call his name Emmanuel. That's the job of Isaiah's wife, to call Emmanuel. We see in the next mm-hmm. chapter, chapter 8, that in fact Isaiah's wife was also a prophet. She was a prophetess. Now, that's not the sign. 
The sign is the next two passages. This is what confuses everyone. The sign is, if you look, that curds and honey will a child eat when he knows to reject bad and choose good, meaning mm-hmm. the siege will be done. Why? Because before that, these two kings who seek to destroy you, they will be vanquished. They will be destroyed. In fact, we see that they were un- both Pekka and Ritzin, these two kings that threatened them, were in fact sum- summarily executed. So we see that it was in fact fulfilled it was fulfilled during that time. It, it, it happened at that time. It wasn't some future prophecy of something that was going to take place hundreds well, of years later. That's in Second Kings 15 and 16. Now, this is, this is the difficulty because if, if uh, Christian scholars understand this to be the original fulfillment of a prophecy, how then is there a dual fulfillment of the same prophecy but that fulfillment is different. Now, is this where we cross over from dual fulfillment prophecies to census plenure? And I should let the listeners know that that's just a fancy Latin term, which means the, the fuller sense or the deeper meaning of. In other words, when a, when a, a prophecy from the Tanakh, uh, a prophecy is fulfilled in the Tanakh, but then it is fully fulfilled in the New Testament. Because we have, we have, a, we have a prophecy in, the, in, in uh, Isaiah, it is, it is fulfilled. But then when, by the time we get to, to, to Matthew, it's represented as a different thing. It's fulfilled in a different way. What, how, do you, how do you explain it? Well, first of all, this, this idiom, this idea is, again, a Christian invention. because, And it, it very much emerges in the book of Hebrews. Where the Hebrews saying, yeah, it's true, there were sacrifices, and so on, but it really was a foreshadowing, and it's, all, mm-hmm. it's fulfilled in some time in the future. That's when it's really fulfilled. And we see this also in actually much more heightened way, which is nonsensical, but we find it in a book um, that was revered by many as part of the New Testament. It, I, it thankfully did not make it into the Christian Bible. It's an apocryphal work called the Epistle of Barnabas, which is written in the early huh. part of the second century, which is a viciously anti-Semitic book. It makes it makes it makes the book of Matthew look like it was written by the Bene Berith. I mean, it, it's just, it's just a, you know, the Epistle of Barnabas is just a hideous document. In fact, that's the trajectory. The Later, the Christian book, the more anti-Jewish it is, mm-hmm. and in fact, the 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 the, the author. The, this, of course, is a forgery. You know, claiming this is Barnabas, who would have been a a companion of Paul. But what the claim that's going to be made in the Epistle of Barnabas, which ultimately is excluded from the Christian canon, is that. Um, is that in fact all every the Jews never understood their Bible to begin with? The Jews, in fact, God was done with the Jews when when Moses broke the tablets at Mount Sinai, and in fact, the Jews never understood their own Bible. Everything is a fulfillment in the future, and if they never understood even the simplest thing. He's going to make you know claims like uh, when, when the Bible says, "Don't eat pork." in Leviticus 11. So the, the author, whoever, we, we don't know who he is, but the author says, it doesn't mean don't eat pork. What are you, an idiot? No, it means... <laughs> it's hard to believe I'm saying that. But I'm telling you, so it doesn't mean don't eat pork. It says don't behave like a pig. What does it mean a pig? Because a pig, oink, 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 you know, 
makes all these loud grunt, grunting noises when it's hungry, and then when it's eaten, it just lays there on its belly in the mud, and then it's all happy, and then so no longer your friend anymore. So you know he 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 does this to the extreme extreme that everything was really pointing forward. The Jews missed the boat completely, and let me tell you how it really is. This is of all, of course all nonsensical. The Torah, Tanakh. I mean, Daniel didn't understand his own Bible. When he refused to eat non-kosher food in the beginning of the book of the, oh, I mean, this this doesn't even deserve a response. Mm. Of course, even Christians said it's ridiculous. So if they did, then we could leave. It. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's a like, good like a good standard. If they, Christians said he's out, he, the Christians said he needed Prozac, then it's okay. <laughs> then they wake up pretty much. <laughs> but you know, the Gospel, of, the the Epistle of Barnabas did make it into some very important. Uh, manuscripts, some very famous manuscripts, as part of the canon. Again, it was it was ultimately excluded in the fourth century. In that in that sense, but, but so that that's all you know, because they have to do it. You look at a Jewish Bible. Yeah, you go to a church service. I don't recommend it, but let's say you go. So if you go, don't go. But if you did, no. <laughs> let's say you know that you have those counters. It's a clicker. I'm sure they have it in Australia. I don't know if this technology has been introduced. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I'm kidding. So in Australia, so they, anywhere in the world, they have a clicker. They Every person who passed, they click, click, click. And then they have a number that you know tells you how many times you click. They use that to count how many people go in, go out, whatever sure. it is. Imagine yeah. you go to a, a, a Baptist uh, Assemblies of God or whatever it is church. In, mm-hmm. On some on some Sunday service, right? Mm-hmm. And and you sit there with a clicker in hand and say, mm, "How many times is the, do we hear the name Jesus come up?" So you'd be clicking all the time. The whole the clicker would probably at some point say to you, "Would you, enough clicking? It's enough already. <laughs> <laughs> Stop clicking. Leave me alone. I'm trying to get some sleep." But, but the, the the reason I bring this up is is I'm not trying to be silly, but if you, this is, stands in such stark contradiction to what we read Tanakh nothing Jesus no Jesus nothing Tanakh doesn't know anything about all this so there's this very stark contrast so therefore they have to say it didn't really mean this it really meant that it didn't say you know of course when it comes to tithing churches suddenly oh they meant that you know, tithing, this is for sure. You have to give 10% of everything you own and then everything your sister-in-law owns, you have to give it to the church. This is this is never, no Christian ever said that tithing shouldn't be taken literally. That This is the biggest mitzvah in all Christianity. Just make sure you, right. if you don't tithe together. This, somehow this commandment did not somehow evaporate. Jesus didn't fulfill, no one ever said, you know, Jesus fulfilled the, the, the commandment of tithing for us and therefore we don't have to be and any, no, no, that's yeah, right. No, yeah. I've never heard that sermon. Yeah, yeah, never heard that. <laughs> you know, Paul didn't say, you know, you know, if you tithe, Christ will avail you nothing. Now, that we don't have in Galatians. <laughs> Somehow, that that mitzvah, they fulfilled, they were a shrimal and they were a Hasidic outfit. For this commandment, they tithing and tithing, and the pastors are running around with $3,000 suits and so on, and the tithing yeah. is schmithing. So anyway, so they... So, but the key is so. So they have a big problem. But you know, you know, we had a president in the United States that was uh, was uh, corrupt, and his name was um, his name is Barack Obama. I'm kidding. No, he had a president. His his name was um, Nixon, right? Mm-hmm. As it turns out, you know. The and it was the Watergate affair. I'm not going to go into yep. it, but the key point is that it was the cover up. 
that uh, in that Nixon sought to cover up his looking into what the Democratic Party was doing, it was the cover-up that got him in all the trouble. That was the problem. The cover-up usually creates all the problems. And that's what, that is germane to this point. And that is that when Christians say, let me, there's a dual prophecy here. Of course, if you look at Isaiah 7 and it's plain reading and it's plain meaning and it's natural reading, of course it's talking about a very famous war that occurred 2,700 years ago. But there's a dual prophecy. It was fulfilled twice. And in the second time it was fulfilled, dual, the second time, the second and most important is it was fulfilled in in the time of Jesus, it was filled twice, and therefore there's, there's not a problem. We could dismiss this problem that Isaiah seven has nothing to do with the Messiah, nothing to do with a virgin, nothing to do with anything, anything to do with it. No, it was fulfilled twice. That's the argument that goes. So therefore, and this is not biblical, but in fact, I would love to, I would relish to ignore the fact that dual prophecy is not a biblical concept, because the problem they create them. Is, for themselves by making this assertion is 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 much worse than the problem they were in beforehand. The, the cover-up here is the problem. Just thinking about it yeah, now right. and, and looking at these two uh, 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 theological terms, census plenior and dual fulfillment prophecy, it, it, it seems to, to nebulously cloud between the two depending on what position you want to take and, and, and what way you want to explain it because obviously there are not Two virgin births. Exactly. There's not, a virgin, exactly. there's not a virgin birth in Isaiah chapter seven. Now, now, if you look, if, and I encourage listeners to do this, if you look up these two uh, concepts, these these two uh, uh, theological disciplines within hermeneutics, Christian hermeneutics, dual fulfillment prophecies, you're going to find uh, example number one is Isaiah chapter seven verse fourteen, uh, and related uh, over over into Matthew. If you look up census plenure, you're going to find example number one. Isaiah chapter 7, 14, and it's going to uh, spill over into Matthew. However, the difference is dual fulfillment prophecy says that Mary was a virgin and gave birth to Jesus. Therefore, uh, are we not to expect that in Isaiah we're going to find a virgin giving birth? Right. That means that's the point. That means the same people who claim dual prophecy all are clamoring and screaming with all their big proofs and so on that Alma means a virgin so you have to understand so that means what they're saying is that there was a there was a parthenogenesis they're claiming that there was a virgin in the time of isaiah that also had a child and mary wasn't the first virgin to conceive mm. which means this is absolutely preposterous you understand mm. so what they do is they they divorce the two and that's why I say to you, listeners, think, think, think. I'm not, I'm not introducing some fancy philosophy over here. What I'm doing, you know, it's funny. They like to use, put it into Latin. Why do they put use all these Latin words? Because no one speaks Latin. And what is, I never walked down a, the street. It's like, like no, it's, it's like a Jedi mind <laughs> yeah. trick, isn't it? You say, you know, what, what does this actually mean? And you wave your hand like Obi Wan Kenobi, and you say, "Census plenior," and then you run away. Oh, well, plenior is different. You know, instead, it's like you know, it's like you know, they call. I'm going to have a Perrier. Well, what's Perrier? <laughs> it's seltzer. It's, it's seltzer. But if I say Perrier, aha, Perrier, this I'll pay $800 for a bottle. They would call it <laughs> seltzer. 
<laughs> you know it's seltzer, right? When I was a kid, <laughs> seltzer. Do they have seltzer in Australia? Of course they had seltzer. No, it, you didn't no, have seltzer? They have seltzer. In New York, was a big deal. I'd never forget this when I was a kid. So seltzer was the biggest. They actually would deliver the seltzer when I was a child. They would deliver the seltzer like bottles in a crate, in a wooden crate. There was a seltzer man who would deliver it, and it was the, mm-hmm. the, the there were these bottles, very strong glass, and they had a... A, a nozzle on it and you then he when you were done with all 12 bottles the the seltzer man would come and bring up new bottles and <laughs> my mother always warned me be careful with these bottles because obviously they're under pressure because it, they want to keep the bubbles in there i mm. never understood seltzer or any of this because like i don't know water tastes pretty good i never said i never met someone i don't like water so much i never met such a person <laughs> like what do you need to stick what do you need to stick bubbles inside like what is, is this the bubbles it's the what, bubbles of nothing that make I, it something i right? don't know what the bubble who which idiot came up with putting bubbles in stuff? like <laughs> put a tuna fish sandwich in my water just leave it this is water this is a bubble i could breathe the drink i don't have to do the same at the same time <laughs> you know but it was funny i have to tell you a funny thing so i never told the story so when i was a kid so we were told to be careful because the bottles were under pressure so mm-hmm. we were told that if this bottle if you drop a bottle of seltzer and it was sealed you could not open it and do it yourself it, it came from the factory they if you drop it would explode it would make such an explode be like i don't know a hiroshima bomb this is how we imagine it <laughs> if you don't drop the bottle the bottle had to be handled with care this is the most dangerous thing it's like this is the explosions the whole city will be and in fact i didn't know where i mean did you ever hear something when you were a kid and you took it seriously and later on and you took it seriously you know, I, yeah. yeah for sure not don't, only don't make don't. faces when the wind changes because <laughs> your face will stay like that forever remember that one yeah yeah I thought that was true uh, yeah so uh, i thought so i was told i don't know who which which idiot told me this but i was told not kidding that seltzer bottles are so explosive <laughs> that seltzer bottles so explosive that in fact during World War Two, <laughs> when the Japanese were flying over, you know, American the Allied forces, they would drop salsa bottles. <laughs> I'm not kidding. And I just, <laughs> to a six-year-old, this was a very big deal. And I'm going, yeah, I, and I imagined my mind, this Japanese fighter with a scarf wrapped around his neck, you know, like, you know, he's flying with the open canopy and he's dropping salsa bottles. bottles. And he's dropping <laughs> salsa bottles out. And then he's killing off a whole infantry. So being wiped out by salsa. <laughs> I promise you, I believe this. Now, what, this is, I believe this. I thank God. By the time I turned thirty-two, I stopped believing it. But I, I, I really, I really thought that it was uh, as this is one. A childhood thing that this was a major armament, a, a weapon of mass destruction in, in the Salsa battle. And in fact, it made me nuts because the Salsa man, he would deliver it. And he was a big grubber Gentile. He was a big guy. Whatever. He was a big Irish guy because he had to drag this thing up three flights of stairs. And then when he finally bring the new bottle of seltzer, you know how it is, they would just, they would just sort of throw it on the floor, so and I'd be like, and I'd be, beer of your life. I'd be diving under the bed, <laughs> <laughs> what the heck is he doing, are you, are you trying to kill us all, 
<laughs> but this is a story. Of the, so how do we get into seltzer? I have no idea. But dual prophecy and seltzer are very connected. The key is you use you use the word seltzer. Seltzer, schmelzer, hey, seltzer. How much can you get for seltzer? 25 cents. You call it Perrier. It's the same thing. What is it? It's water with bubbles in it. Oh, Perrier. You know, yeah. this is it's French. I don't know what it is. It's suddenly this is worth, you know, that's what they call What do they call the snails they eat in, 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 in French? The parasites eat. What do they call it? There's snails. <laughs> what do they, they eat? Snails. What do they call well, it? They do they eat snails, but what they, you're they, telling me they give it some sort of yeah, there's uh, a name. lesson. Yeah, there's a name. <laughs> they call it um, whatever they call it, some um, fancy word. I'm sure we're going to have 5,000. You want to know a funny thing? Let us know in the comments, people, yeah, what you, they call the yeah, snails in the whole. You know what's funny is this, is that, is that when, the show, when we put up the show and everyone's going to watch us, we have all the comments telling them how brilliant and good-looking I am. But in the comments <laughs> this time, I promise you, everyone is going to put up not dual prophecy, Isaiah, this. They're going to put up what the snail, the eating this snail, is, what the snail is. This called. is going to be the most <laughs> important thing you should know. You said you know, I never ate snails, and I, and Jono and I apparently didn't either. But they give it some name, so it doesn't sound so. It, it's uh, it doesn't sound so. So so, so they can so they can put another couple of uh, dollars on the. <laughs> On the price, right? Because it's Latin and it sounds more expensive. And why not? Puzzle. They call it snails. Who's going to go in? It's like caviar. What is that? I mean, that's that. And that's a French word. Yeah, it's like a, yeah. a, a, a fish, fish eggs. They should really call it a fish's abortion. They shouldn't call it. <laughs> they call it caviar. Oh, caviar. It sounds good. So. Um, by the way, I hope that all of you realize how it's so important to both Jono and I never to digress, and that's critical to the show. You understand that? That we are. I don't even know what we, we were talking I have about. No, what were we talking about? What was the show? <laughs> so, he, so the point is that people use a term. Oh, there's dual prophecy. Oh, it's called this. It's called. Caviar. Yeah. Oh, caviar is different over here. You understand? So they, you know, they 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 brie a blue cheese. It's stinky milk that went bad. That's what it really <laughs> is, and it stinks like vomit. And the, but they called it brie. Aha, brie! You're a big knacker. So in the same way, <clears throat> they give it these names. It, it goes to the same thing with like the the, the how. Uh, Christians tried to solve the the paradoxical nature of Trinity. They said it's the same same substance. Jesus, the eternal God, same co-equal, co-eternal, but he's a different person. So everyone, oh, he's a different person. Okay, that makes sense. Everybody goes, well, what does that mean? It means nothing. What does person mean? He's a different person? Oh, he's a different, like everyone somehow, he's a different person. Oh, he's a different, what, what does that mean? It means nothing. It's just a word that just suddenly takes on a whole meaning that has that explains away something that's completely oxymoronic. So therefore, the, the problem here is staggering when claiming a virgin birth, well, claiming a dual, dual, a dual prophecy. Because number one, that means you're saying, if you have already insisted that the word Alma means a virgin, if you already are trying to sell us on Alma meaning a virgin, so that you have a problem, because that means you have to say there were two virgin births, mm. one contemporaneously in the time of Isaiah and Ahaz, and then 700 years later in the first century. So that's completely preposterous. The second problem is even crazier, because if you're going to claim that there's a dual prophecy so the dual prophecy is now even nuttier because as we as was mentioned earlier on in the show uh, and everyone's still thinking about seltzer but if you early in the show the, con the the context is a civil war 
mm-hmm. namely the northern kingdom aligned with Syria goes to war against the southern kingdom, Judah, the Davidic house from which we are all descendants. The ten northern tribes eventually going to be carried off and they're going to be exiled to be returned in the future as prophesied mm-hmm. in Ezekiel and so on. So the problem is that it says in the next verse, verse 15 and verse the 16 of Isaiah chapter 7, it says it there, says, Curds and honey, right. curds and honey he shall eat, and that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that you dread will be forsaken by both her kings. Bingo! So this is an unbelievable thing. So now, if this is a dual prophecy, you now have even a, a bigger problem. All right, so you, maybe a Christian will say there was a virgin birth twice. Uh, whatever. I've never met a Christian ever who did that. Every, never. Never. There was a snake, you should know. There's a parthenogenesis that took place somewhere in Indonesia where a, a snake uh, had three babies, a female. I heard about that. Yeah, you heard about that. So, you know, so, but the key point is that if you want to say dual prophecy, you've got a big problem. The sign is not the birth, the sign is the maturity of the child. Cream mm. and honey. What's cream and honey? Mm. They're two foods that need to be processed or need to be cultivated. Cream doesn't start a cream. Mm-hmm. First, you have to milk a cow, and then you got to make it into cream or curds or whatever it is. Honey, mm. you can't just go and say, honey, grow some honey. What you have to do is you have to go cultivate bees and wait and so on and get honey. That's not food that you're eating on the siege. So, what the text is saying is, the text is saying that this lad, this child, will be eating cream and honey, meaning he will not be in a siege when he knows to reject bad and choose good. Why? Because when the lad doesn't even know the difference between good and evil, these two kings who you dread will abandon this land. So I want to know, when did Jesus not know the difference between good and bad? When did he eat cream and honey? And most important, these two kings will be abandoned and and will abandon this land that you dread. Well, it happens to be that there was no northern kingdom of Israel during the first century, during the Christian Mm -hmm. century. There was no Syria northern kingdom alliance. This is all nonsense, and the Assyrian Empire had already completely disappeared from the world map in the ancient world. That was an old story. So, therefore, the dual prophecy, they should... The dual prophecy creates more problems. The only thing is that people, you know, I think what you could take from this is that you should just read the text. Don't be afraid. You're telling the truth, you have nothing to worry about. Mm-hmm. Understand? When people, like, you know, in, in a court case, when people are being accused of things and they won't take the stand. The United States, I don't know, is in Australia. But in America, in a criminal case, a person cannot be compelled to take the stand in his own defense. But frankly, if you're being accused of murderers to the God, and you know you didn't do anything, you didn't, so what person wouldn't get up and, you know, testify? Mm. Of course, if a person doesn't, uh, so what you do is just look at the context. You have nothing to worry about. You're safe. Look at the Bible. Look at the context. Read it. And then, so does this make sense? 